Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Fast Money starts right now, live from CNBC headquarters in Inglewood, Cliffs, New Jersey. I'm Scott Wapner, in tonight for Melissa Lee. Our traders on the desk are Pete Nigerian, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Dan Nathan. Tonight on Fast, a stunning reversal on Wall Street. The Dow with a dramatic drop early in the day, rallying nearly 800 points from the lows. Boy, almost coming all the way back, ending down just a mere 79 points. And after taking out the November lows, the S&P bouncing back to end the day nearly flat as well. The Nasdaq closing the day in the green, up about one half of 1%. Pete, what do you make of the action? Is that what a bottom feels like? It, it, it sure feels a lot like that, yeah. I mean, it, it, the turn that we had was amazing. And the fact that we saw that spike in the volatility where we got <laughs> up, and we've been talking about it for a long time. When is volatility going to get one of those absolute expo- explosive days? Well, we certainly got that today. We, as, as a matter of fact, volatility started coming back before the market started to rise, Scott. So that was something interesting as well. We got up near 26, then we started to pull back, and as we were pulling back, then the market started to catch up with that, and then we saw this big move to the upside. It was NASDAQ, though, that really did lead this first. Whether you wanted the FANG names, the MAGA names, whichever ones you want, the technology side really was what started to push this market back up to the upside. Bottom in? I mean, is that, that's the question everybody wants to know tonight. Is that the kind of activity, Dan, that says... Got a bottom. Well, you're asking the wrong guy for down, a bottom. Down man, fifteen. Down fifteen hundred <laughs> points. Guys, 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 that was down fifteen hundred no. points over two days. Okay. Point. That was a massive, massive intraday reversal, and it was led by the right names. It was led by MAGA, Microsoft, Apple, Google, Amazon. Now, Apple didn't really participate much to the end, but it was down the most of all those guys. Yeah. No. I mean, it was huge. Okay. So here's the thing: we might be trading in this range, uh, a couple hundred point range in the S&P for a couple weeks now. We know we have a budget showdown. We know that we have this Fed meeting on December 19th. There's a couple massive, massive catalysts. So I think we're going to see this volatility for the next couple of weeks until we get some more clarity from the Fed. But but volatility implies just that. Saying we got a bottom here um, tells you that we resolved some major issues that are still very much unresolved. Um, Bottom line here is you've got the sixth test now of 2,600 on the S&P. And meanwhile, you know, the three C's of of credit, uh, crude, and curmudgeon. Third. <laughs> Pete. I'm not the I had another three. I had another I'm not three. Sure what the third is. Crude, credit, and the curve. Look, bottom line, let's talk about bonds because I think what turned this market around today was really the bond market. Remember, the 10 year bond and yields went from kind of 305 to, to 282 on the intraday. Yeah. Um, we were as overbought on 10 years or as oversold on yields as we've been in over a decade. So again, to say that people had overreacted to the other side, I think they had. Obviously, the Fed has been out in the last couple of days and given some people some sense that they're probably more data dependent than they had been. Journal says, you know, Fed mulling a slower approach. You have right. the Bostic comments later in the day, which seem to help stocks. What's your view on where we are? Well, definitely dovish comments. So that was good. But, you know, what I think we were down, we, we reversed all of the positive from China, from the G20 rather, all of the positive from Powell becoming more dovish. We reversed all of that. And I look at where we are in China now at post G20, this arrest, I think that, that is not going to go unanswered. 
So yeah. I think that we're in for more bad news on the tariff front rather than good news. You think I think that was really Fed, a big though, reason why the market was down the yes, way it was. Absolutely. Overnight, that, I, I believe that. Totally was, agree with you. Yeah. It flipped right when that news hit. Scott, we were actually trading positive, and suddenly we've rolled to the downside. And what's the news out there? That was the only news out there. I mean, if you looked around, what else was actually moving the market? And suddenly we were down a couple hundred points from being up over 100 points in the after hours. What about this whole notion, though, that we're making too much of everything? Making mountains out of molehills. kind of. I mean, yeah, just think about it. That's a well, pretty it's a aggressive It's a mountain move. relative to this trade dynamic. And, and I, I don't think you can underestimate the trade dynamic. I think there's someone that could be watching these markets and say, sure, the market has is, is got a schizophrenia that we haven't seen for a long time. But when you consider the fact that the entire world has shut down, look, we got ISM numbers out today that were absolutely fine because it's a services ISM. But if you look at the input orders numbers we've had from around the world, everything we're hearing from companies, uh, the Beige Book yesterday, look, you're quickly seeing companies adjust and everything good we did fiscally, I, I think, is being unwound. And that, you, you know, know, you asked an interesting uh, question, like uh, people making a mountain on a molehill. We heard the Toll Brothers CEO say that, well, the media is causing this crisis in housing, you know, talking about weak housing number. You know, Leon Cooperman, what did he say to you at 1230 today? He said, you guys as soon as you do that special, we, special. we turn. You know, it's like everyone's looking at us and blaming us. It's fine if you guys want to blame me. That's fine. But these guys, you know but what I mean? I'm saying, no, but it just saying, seems like there's a lot of that you know, right now. You go right? from the yield curve is flat yeah. to, oh, my God, we're going into recession tomorrow. Yeah. That's the sort of feeling that's permeated but, 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 the market. Yes. But, but isn't the it? worst case scenario across the board. So, so I, I say this all the time. Okay, so if the consensus is, is that it's going to take 12 to 18 months from when the yield curve inverts, the twos and the tens, to, to have a to recession, recession, okay, to a recession, why don't you want to hear a contrarian notion that maybe it could happen much sooner than we expect? And I think that's what risk assets have been telling us over the last couple of months, that maybe it's not a 2020 thing, maybe it's a mid-2019 thing, and then when you start looking at global growth, you start looking at the, uh, you know, we're not having these tailwinds from fiscal stimulus anymore, maybe it comes sooner. And why don't you want to hear that? I, I think you should hear everything. Yeah. Um, but the point that Lee Cooperman was making cool. today, and he came on right at 12, uh, said very positive things about where he thinks we are from a buying opportunity standpoint. Sure did. Also thinks that people are too negative. Let's listen to Lee Cooperman and we'll talk about it on the other side. In my 50 years of doing this, what do I look at? I look at the economy. I look at inflation. I look at monetary policy. I look at valuation. I look at bonds versus stocks. And everything comes up, you know, uh, saying it's a great buying opportunity. Where's he it wrong? was a calming voice today, yeah, right? At, when at a much when everybody's time, screaming. And, yeah, when bottom. we came on, we Near were close to 700 today. points down, just off the bottoms of the day. Yep. And Lee started to speak. And then suddenly it's almost as if people, every, everybody listened. Right. I mean, what he came out there with, Scott, was he talked about something I've been hitting on for a couple of days now, algorithms, the uptick rule and some of that. And I understand people could say, well, you know, you don't have any of those those uh, uh, things that are holding you back on the way up. I still think you've got to have something on the markets on the downside to hold that in place, give stabilization to the marketplace. The uptick rule left in 2007. I still think that's something Lee talked about that as well today. But he also talked about, hey, look, there are some great opportunities out there. And I totally agree with him. As a matter of fact, I bought one of his names today. I'm going to be pitching that later on tonight. But it's really interesting to see. I try to tease these things out. But it is amazing because I think his calming voice came in and said, hey, look, there are opportunities being created by the fact that we are seeing these massive moves to the downside. Let's not forget, Kara, mm-hmm. buying the dip has not worked of late, right? You've had all of these oh, since the last gyrations, months, right? In the yes. last two months, all of a sudden, buying the dip hasn't worked. Right. Lee suggests that now's the time to actually buy the dip. Uh-huh. Is it going to work this time? 
Well, I mean, Lee's outlook is long term and he doesn't really care, I think, if he has a lot of volatility in his portfolio in the short term. Right. So I think he'll probably be right. I mean, you know, I'm long. I'm always long biased. And, you know, it's been a difficult two months. But uh, it's interesting you listen to Jamie Dimon or you listen to Brian Moynihan the other day talking about the strength of the, the economy. Everybody who came on today from, from D.C. Right. With, with Becky, yes. one after the other. Very positive. I think, though, that tariffs and trade is what moves this market. I really do. And I do not think we are in the clear at all. And I also think uncertainty moves this market. If we had a tariff deal, trade deal, even if it wasn't a great deal, I also think that, that would be better for the market. Yeah, but I think if you think, again, about positioning and where are people complacent and maybe people are overreacting, um, certainly on a minute and a day-to-day, look, we, we traded off on effectively two days. So from the peak of the, the first trading day after Thanksgiving to the lows of today, we traded off 6.5% in essentially two sessions. Mm-hmm. That's an oversold condition. I don't care what anybody says. Of course, at some point, people need to step in. But I, I just think if you if you consider the dynamics, and, and back to technicals, I'm not a, I'm not a technical freak. I use them, I use them um, at least as a tool along with everything else. And, and to be clear, we broke down technicals on two to three year trends yeah. in a couple of major asset classes. The DAX today broke an eight year uh, uptrend. You've actually seen, as I talked about, oversold conditions that really indicate you could have but even o- oversold isn't reason enough for a bounce, right? You need a catalyst. And maybe we got a confluence of Catalyst today. It's it's Cooperman. It's it's Diamond. The Diamond. It's the Fed. It's the Fed. It's the Fed. Everything is sort of a calm. Hey, I think maybe we're making too much their opinions of of an economy that's falling out of bed, a Fed that's getting too aggressive. Um, you know the trade skirmish that Diamond said. Hey, listen, not a war. I, I, I think war. I think the I think yields told us this over the last couple of weeks that a more dovish Fed is not particularly bullish for equities, and I really believe that. And I think that you may have this kind of knee jerk reaction into December nineteenth off of this older oversold condition, but I'm not sure once we get to December twentieth that's going to be a real bullish thing if they wait in December and push it out. All right, we mentioned Jamie Dimon, the J.P. Morgan CEO, sitting down with our own Becky Quick earlier today, commenting on the markets. There are, are a lot of things happening that may even come together the wrong way in 20, late 2020 and 2021. It's possible, you know, we've had, and this is another very important thing, 20% growth over 10 years. It should have been 40%. That anemic growth is part of the reason you have lower capital expenditures, that we didn't create enough high-paying jobs, that people didn't have a lot of, enough opportunity. And it's, it's like, not the tail end of the cycle, but it's possible this acceleration we're seeing is traditional for the last third of a cycle. So it's possible we've got three years left. Booyah! Oh, yeah. We have a Kramer alert uh, for more on that <laughs> and is. this wild day. Let's bring in CNBC's Jim Kramer. He's live from the Mad Money studio tonight. Jim, you got the positive comments there from Diamond. Uh, I hope you listened to Lee on the halftime report earlier. What do you make of the way things unfolded today? I thought Lee really helped the market. I was watching and seeing how the market just kind of bottomed because you needed a calming voice. And Lee's basically talking about the uh, mechanics of the market not working well and then creating some value. But also what he talked about was driving people away. And that's what the stock market does. And the SEC doesn't view it as its job to figure out whether it's a level playing field between individuals, institutions, or fast money or slow money or algorithmic money. And it's a shame because it used to be a great way to make money. And it's just consistently driven people off or made them think that you only can do ETFs. And it's really a shame. Uh, You know, uh, Jamie, I I think Jamie's a great banker, but there is weakening housing. There's uh, weakening electricity use. There's weakening autos, weakening construction. We got weak 
weakening uh, chemical, weakening paper. We got weakening oil. Uh, altogether, yes, there's some good, but we have to admit there's some bad. So the idea that the Fed does one and then waits, I, I'm fine with. But I'm not fine with the idea that the Fed says we just got to keep going because there's, that's too much weakness. It, it really should be a little more measured. The Fed has to be a little less rash. No one likes to criticize the Fed. I don't understand that at all. I mean, we're perfectly willing to say that a Green Bay coach should be fired, even though he's in a bunch of N- NFC championships and he's a Super Bowl winner. But we can't say anything about a Fed chief who on October 3rd comes out and says the wrong thing, that the economy is really strong. It may be the weakest moment. I'm sorry. These are people who put their pants on one leg at a time. We have every right to be able to criticize them and not and we should not let them just go by idly. They know nothing when they often know nothing. <laughs> Today feel like a bottom to you, Jim, the, the way that stocks rebounded by like 700 fact, points. Let's put it this way. I like the fact that obviously the mechanics of the market were weird in terms of the, the day off and what happened with the futures. Uh, I was disturbed by the fact that, that there must be something really going wrong, frankly, at Huawei, that the Canadians would do our bidding. I mean, that, this must be some serious indication of guilt there. That helps the cold warriors in the White House, not the trade warriors. But you know what? I, let's talk about Facebook. Wait, you know, Facebook has got to be the most reviled stock of our time, right? And there was a big downgrade, and the stock was really bad. And the stock rallied. You know, when stocks rally on downgrades, that's a positive sign. But, yes, if the Fed says the wrong thing and the president's a little peripatetic, that's a great understatement. There's a lot of things that seem to make the algos go wrong. So I, you got to pick your spots. I mean, Facebook was an unbelievable, probably proved to be a great buy today. The fact that Apple didn't finish at its low was odd. The fact that Broadcom reported a monster quarter after the close is probably the company that's most involved and most in the crosshairs with China after Huawei. I don't know. These were positives. These were positives. Uh, but the most positive thing was your interview with, with uh, Lee, because they don't want to get rid of, they don't want to bring back the uptick rule. They being the institutions that love to be able to go in and out of stocks. There's too much money being made betting against the individual and not and, and betting with the institutions. And I hate that, Scott. Yeah. That's why it's a great interview. No, thank you. In, in light of in light of all this, Jim, what do you have coming up in about 45? OK, I have probably the best acting stock in America today, which is Yum. It's been a buy every time it's down. U.S. Concrete, we'll talk about a great read on the, on the economy. And then I've got a stock that's down a remarkable amount that was one of the hottest stocks in the market, Ollie's Bargain Outlet. And I've got to tell you, all three, well, Bill Sandbrook, that's a tough one, U.S. Concrete, it was up. But I, you listen to Creed and you listen to Butler and you're going to want to buy their stocks and I encourage you to do so. And we got to find out what happened in, in Canada. Scott, I mean, that was just an episode of 24, maybe season five or six. <laughs> yeah, I suspect uh, we're going to find out more uh, in the days and ahead. And she's released her own recognizance. Can you imagine what will happen with these stocks? Yeah. Jim, we appreciate it as Thank always. You, we'll be with you at the top of the hour. Again, Mad Money, 6 p.m. Do not miss Jim's show uh, talking all about what happened today and where we may go from here. Coming up. It was the arrest, as Jim was saying, heard round the world. The CFO of a major Chinese tech firm taken into custody will tell you why it shook the global markets. Plus, a top strategist who has been calling for a big year-end rally now said it's dead on arrival. What made him change his tune? He'll be here to explain. We're live from CNBC's global headquarters in Inglewood Cliffs, New Jersey tonight. And there is much more Fast Money right after this. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, 
which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Back on Fast Money, Broadcom soaring after beating earnings after the bell. A bright spot in what has been a rough few months for the chip stocks. Josh Lipton's in San Francisco tonight with the details. Josh. Scott, so that Broadcom call is really just starting here. CEO Hock Tan is on the call. Interesting. Uh, going forward, he says, um, in terms of disclosure, they're going to plan to do away here, Scott, with quarterly guidance. Instead, Hock Tan saying um, they're going to be moving to annual guidance going forward. He says that more accurately reflects how he manages the business. As for the print itself, Scott, I did check in with Bernstein, Stacy Rasgon, just for his quick take. Now, he is a Broadcom bull, and here's what he liked in the print, he told me. Gross margins, way above. 2019 guidance looks really solid, he says. Implied EPS by his his math, 2350 for fiscal 19. That would be higher than the street was looking for, and a massive dividend raise. We should also mention that Broadcom added six billion to its buyback plan. Other chip names were under pressure today. You look at the SMH; it did finish in the red. And the analysts were kind of busy seeing how much exposure their names, for example, had to Huawei, given the arrest there of that CFO. RBC's bottom line, at least there clients were saying, listen, they saw this as an incremental headwind. More material issues, they said, include slowing demand trends, the trade war. The SMH did close well off its lows of the session. They're still on track here for the worst year since 2011. Scott, back to you. Yeah, Josh, thank you uh, very much. Let's, let's talk these chip stocks. Um, you could look back and say in many ways that the chips helped lead you into this, right? No doubt. They, they fell out they of fell bed first. big time, led you in. Do you need them to lead you out for confirmation that, in fact, we are out? Well, they've, they've certainly been both the, the easiest line you can draw to the text you know, pushback and, and the acrimony. Uh, if you look at text, they basically have pulled back almost 9% in three days relative to the market that pulled back 6.5%. I mean, they trade with a beta, and, and ultimately you've seen uh, that since June. So they've, they've underperformed. Uh, if you look at some names like Intel, though, Intel's actually outperformed the market after it kind of bottomed about two months ago. And, and I think when you look at a more diversified chip play in a company that has a great balance sheet and actually on the earnings on a, on a, on a multiple basis is a much smaller harder play in chips than some of these high multiple stocks, and that's why it's outperforming. Pete, you watch these stocks close? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think this forecast is amazing, right? I mean, they, they've raised it by $2 billion to $24.5 billion for 2019. Nobody seems to be screaming, though, that they cut back and they're not going to give quarterly but anymore. But they're they going for the full the year. Guidance, though. Right, but I mean, but everybody's yes, all over Apple for saying, yeah. hey, you're not going to give us units anymore, but you'll still give us revenue, of course. But, you know, they don't want to give units anymore. Everybody screamed about that. I'm just pointing that out because I think that's something that slipped underneath. I think Tim's 100% right with Intel. I, I, when, you, when you look at this name, they still need to tell us who the CEO is going to yeah, be, though. Who's going to lead? Taking a long I think time. It, I know it. it. I'm with and that you. that stock was cut to a sell yesterday. Yes. And yet, look at it today. It was two bucks off the lows from earlier this morning where it closed at 48.50. So a nice move, I think, out of Intel into these earnings. And I expect to see that up tomorrow as long as Avago can hold on to this. All right. Tech may have made a comeback today, but one trader believes the group isn't out of the woods just yet. Let's bring in Joel Kalina. He's the head of technology and media trading at Wedbush coming to us tonight from Toronto. Joel, welcome. It's good to talk to you tonight. Hey, thanks for having me on. How come you don't think tech's out of the woods? Well, I mean, obviously, I don't know. I mean, whatever Hawk Tom pulled out of the hat is pretty impressive. I don't think anyone saw that coming. And uh, what he's seeing from the semi-end market is clearly not reminiscent or similar to what his competitors are seeing. Um, you know, data points continue to deteriorate across the board. You listen to management speak over the past few days, whether it was at Barclays Tech Conference or, or NASDAQ's conference in London. There's a few things that are certain. There's a lot of, uh, there's, there's no visibility as far as tariffs go. 
And uh, regarding uh, you know outlooks heading into 2019, there's a lot of uncertainty. Everyone wants to talk about 2020 and beyond, but I'll tell you what, it seems like a lot of the CEOs and managers from the semi companies are, are banking on hope that things will improve. What we've been seeing over the past kind of six to seven weeks, um, you know, microchip first flagged the issues in, in mid-August, that inventory levels are on the rise and, and we're seeing cracks across multiple end markets that just were bulletproof for pretty much five, six years, whether it's automotive, industrial, decelerating data center spend. There's issues here that just weren't around at, you know, for the bulk of this bull market cycle that we witnessed for seven years. Right. And it's starting to unravel a little bit. And more broadly, though, I mean, the price action today was, was fairly interesting, and especially in the Amazons, Facebooks, Googles. Uh, you don't take any, any of that uh, as solace about where we, where we could be going from here? Well, as far as tech, I mean, I think, you know, there's definitely pockets that are, that are firing on all cylinders. And I think you look no further than the cloud SaaS pocket of the, of, of the sector. Uh, we had great numbers last week from Salesforce, Workday, Splunk. And then this week already from Zscaler, uh, MongoDB, uh, Octane, just to name a few. I think, you know, the secular shift to cloud is still relatively in its early innings. And you're going to see a, a further shift, you know, to that, that pocket of tech as the digital transformation is still underway. So I'm sitting here, if you look at the semiconductor space, why try to catch falling knives when you have CEOs that really can't predict, you know, you know what, what they're going to expect in yeah, 2019? Yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to go beyond the, the semi-stocks. If you look at the way yeah. that the, the fangs came back, um, you know, Apple may not have uh, had as good of a day as, as some of the others, but the valuations of these stocks have come down as the market has gone through this correction. You're telling me that none of these are worth a buy here? The semiconductors, no. I, I think there's a lot better names, names to own. You want to look the large cap space. I'm I like Apple about the in the fang 170s. Stocks. I keep talking yeah, about fang, I'm trying fang, to get to the fang stocks. Yeah, fang, yeah, fang stocks, I think, you know, to me, Facebook is, is still kind of uninvestable given the regulatory uh, overhang on the stock and, and a lot of execution issues from Zuckerberg. But yeah, Amazon's one of the most disruptive companies in the world. Google's still relatively cheap. I think you'd definitely be nibbling on the long side of those names. And then, and then kind of elsewhere, maybe even some of these Chinese names are, are getting pretty flushed out. You know, Tencent, Alibaba, those type of names, you know, they're, they're a lot less owned now than they were two, three months ago. And I think you look at those names within the large cap complex or, or the cloud names, Salesforce, Microsoft, Red Hat, those companies are executing and, and, and still, like I said, firing on all cylinders. Yeah. I uh, appreciate it very much. Joel, thank you. Joel Kalina thank from you. Uh, Toronto. What do you think? Well, I, I actually thought Facebook was the most interesting today. I mean, the, those articles out this morning read terribly. And, it, and the market was obviously down. It, it wasn't down that much more or maybe even a little bit less than some of the other fangs. And it rallied really strongly. I mean, that, that is just a crescendo of bad news there. And yet it hung in. So, I mean, I'm talking my book. I'm long Facebook. I'm long uh, uh, Alphabet. I think you, you guys are both saying they, those need to have been leading us out if we are going out then. But I think the, the, the semis need to follow well, to really I, I, get out. Yeah, but yeah. I think I think what Joel's saying is you want to avoid these commoditized kind of um, tech stories that actually don't have great visibility. And, you know, when you look at um, Broadcom, when you look at who their con- customer concentration is, Apple at 9%, it's Foxconn at 9%, which Apple is their biggest customer, and then it's Huawei at 6%. I think you want to avoid that, especially with this guidance change. But one thing he said that I think this is really important is these cloud names, this is really important, they're high margins, right? You have all these companies, enterprises globally that are transforming their business 
businesses. You also have governments. Okay, so these are companies with 70, 80 percent gross margins. Salesforce and killed this is, it. This, that, that's what I'm saying. This is going to be a, a secular then, shift. So your buy list should be on those sorts of names, right? The problem, the problem with that is I agree with everything you're saying, yeah. but those are the big multiple stocks. I mean, the stocks that, that, that make more sense in this environment are really are a Google. Or, you know, I think the most important stock today, at least if you want to start calling a term, was Apple. I mean, Apple traded down to this 171 level, which, you know, that's 26 percent off the high, almost like that. Yeah, for another the stock pile that was on price to be, cut today. Yeah, I mean. and, and, and yeah, thanks very much. After 25 percent, you know, when you were probably at 280. You know, look, I, I just think if you want to talk about a stock with a multiple that, that is very defendable, especially when their capital markets activity is spinning out 50 billion in cash flow a year. Um, what happened to sentiment in that stock? You talk about how, you know, people are, are you know, that is the one that em- is emblematic of how the market sentiment has changed so much. Yeah. All right. Coming up. What's got Wall Street so offsides as we head into year end? A top strategist from Wells Fargo is going to explain what he's gotten wrong and why he's right now. Plus, Pete Najarian is stepping up to yeah, the plate Pete. to give us the one beaten down housing stock he says is about to break out. You're watching Fast Money live from our headquarters, our CNBC Global headquarters in Inglewood Cliffs, New Jersey. Much more right after this break. Welcome back to Fast Money. What a year it has been on Wall Street, leaving many of the top strategists offsides with their year-end S&P 500 targets. Our Bob Pisani joins us now from the New York Stock Exchange with more on that. Bob? Many still relatively bullish, Scott. The S&P 500 swung in a 75-point range from the opening to the close today, the low. The Dow moved in an almost 700-point range from high to low. Those are remarkable moves. Positive comments from the Fed's Ralph Bostic, IMF's Christine Lagarde, Wall Street Journalist story that Fed officials are becoming less positive on how fast and how far the central bank will need to go. We're all a factor in the turnaround today. Still, of the three biggest market concerns, only fears of an aggressive Fed have lessened in the last few weeks. The other two major issues about tariffs and trade and about a global slowdown, they've not only not been resolved, there are some signs those concerns have increased. So Wall Street strategists, though, remain very convinced the markets are going to come well off their lows, in some cases significantly off their lows. Take a look here. All the major strategists have year-end targets that are above today's S&P close. That was 26.95. Canaccord Genuity, for example, expects the S&P to close at 3,200, a nearly 19% gain from today's close. UBS, 31.50. That's a 17% cut. A gain from today's close, J.P. Morgan, 3,000, BMO, 29.50. And the least bullish here is Goldman. They expect the S&P to close at 28.50, but even that's a 6% gain from where we are today. 2019, of course, is a bit more problematic. Remember, Scott, Michael Wilson, Morgan Stanley's chief equity strategist, he made waves recently by calling for the S&P 500 to end 2019 at 27.50. That's just barely above where we close today. Back to you, Scott. All right, Bob, thanks so much. Bob Zion, New York Stock Exchange, because there's a big discrepancy on what some people think earnings, Tim, are going to be well, in 2019. Right, and it's consensus right now is about up 7% on earnings for 2019. There's been some people dialing that back. I think, you know, you have to. And, and the relative basis here is also to what extent is guidance changed dramatically from when that 7% was set. Our next guest has a 2018 year-end target of 2950. We're about 10% away from that level now. And now he says the Santa Rally is dead on arrival. Let's bring in Chris Harvey. He's the head dead of Santa? equities Chris? at Wells Fargo. Wow. Thanks for being here. I, I wouldn't say it's dead on arrival. But, but earlier today, it looked like Christmas was canceled. It looked like Santa got caught in customs. And, and things look a little dicey. So but, t- tell me where, where you think we are now because we had the 700-point right. 
come back and I'll ask you the question I asked all at the right. top. Was that, the, was that a bottom? Is that, is that what so, it feels like? So we think we've been scratching out the bottom. What we've been saying to clients of what we've been talking about, there's value on the ground now, right? You've had a massive de-risking. You have sentiment that's horrific. But one of the things that we don't have is we don't have liquidity coming out of the system. We have it at the margin, but what we really don't have to worry about, and the, the way things fall apart is when liquidity comes out of the system. The banking system, we can argue about what multiples are, what the valuation is, but the bank balance sheets are quite good. And so that still keeps us bullish. And, please. Uh, hold on. We went from 2950 to Santa's dead on arrival to now actually we're bullish again. Well, I'm, we're, I'm, I'm we've, we've always been. So, so if you remember, we've called this a trader's market for some time. So above 2900, we said you have to de-risk. Now that we've come back down, we want you to, to re-risk. But you said on November the 1st. So right. it's, you know, for so, argument's sake, we'll call it a month. Yep. Right? Um, we're in for a monster rally. Right. So then you came back and said that, you know, things have changed. You've taken that rally idea off the table. So the monster rally, we still think thing, things go higher. We feel, still think things are good here, right? We're looking very smart. On Monday, things are up 6% from that call. On Tuesday, not so much. And what we're doing is we're starting to run out of room, okay? So, but at the end of the day, is there opportunity here? Yes, there's opportunity. Do we think things go higher? Yes, we do think things go higher. Can we make it to our target? We're running out of room. So, but at the end of the day, that's not the big issue. If you buy today, will you be happy on 1231.19? And we think you will be. Let me ask you, when you talk about liquidity, I'm right. unclear. You're talking about liquidity in the markets or you said liquidity in the banking system or so, credit market? What are you talking so about? So when we talk about liquidity, it's, it's really credit. Do you have access to capital, right? Because when recession, when things go haywire, usually what happens is access to capital disappears. The credit markets are still open. We had $40 billion of issuance. We had convert issuance. But more importantly, when things get tough, when things get a little bit dicey, can the banking system still provide that capital? And they can. The bank balance sheets are as good as we've seen them in a long, long time. Yeah, but Amy Diamond was asked directly today by Becky about that very issue of the credit markets. Yeah, but he was never going to admit it. And we're seeing credit issuance scale back pretty dramatically. And when you think about it, whatever the Fed tells us on December 19th, they're still tightening. They're letting hundreds of billions of dollars of of credit roll off their balance sheet. And that is tightening conditions. So Jamie Diamond did say we are seeing slower loan growth or that sort of thing. I mean, we've heard that over the last couple of months. I just don't see what the catalyst is, you know, for the balance Bank stocks told you today. They really didn't kind of come back today. I don't think we're going to have a great right. 2019 year for investable uh, investing in bank stocks. So, so the point is not investing in bank stocks. Again, we can argue about what the multiples are. Your point the is the health of the overall the health, economy right? can, and when things get difficult, it. can they provide? Can access to capital happen? Can the companies that need it get access to capital? And the answer is yes. Usually, at this point in the cycle, banks' balance sheets are upside down and toxic. That's not what the case. What do you think here. Citigroup down 10% in four trading days is telling you about liquidity and about the prospects for them to be lending? I, I just don't Although, understand Although, Dan, that, that could have been, been 50 other stocks. Well, the, the I think it's Deutsche Bank related more yeah, than the U.S. They, they've one. got that international exposure that many of the other banks don't have really? the same sort of a thing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, my <laughs> question, though, Chris, would be more about, I, I think one of the other things you said near the end of November is you actually got the sense that it's something along the line, the argument that everyone had finally maybe de-risked, right. and this was the reason that things were actually looking good. It was a, right. it was a positioning argument. Um, I, I still get the sense that there's still a lot of complacency. A lot of strategists are right. still very bullish on not only year-end, but where we go from here. And I don't right. think that the repositioning has been that extraordinary. Um, Stratus may be very positive, but the buy side is not. When you talk to the buy side every day, the sentiment is horrific. Now, let's get back to liquidity. What we've seen is de-risking. Stocks have gone down, yet things aren't great. 
But a lot of times that de-risking has been a demand for liquidity. What happened is not unsimilar to what happened in 07. In 07, you had people levered to value in a large way. In the middle of 07, it cascaded out and you had a big demand for liquidity. It's pretty similar to what happened now. People were levered to growth and then that started to roll over and there was a cascading out. When the opportunity comes up related to non-fundamental reasons, we think that's a great opportunity. Let's say we're not going to get to 29.50 on the S&P between now and the end of the year. Okay, great. Where can we get? So I think we can easily get to 2,900. So not that far away. Again, we've had a six-point swing in a matter of in, in 24 hours, at 24 hours of trading, or, or a little bit more than that. So you can easily have that positive news come back into the marketplace. That's not a surprise. We're sitting around 2,700. We weren't sitting around. We tested 2,800 not that long so you're ago. You're talking 200 S&P points. There's, there's time for that? It's, it certainly is. You guys agree certainly. with that? No one? <laughs> it's possible. By end of year? I don't want crickets. I want <laughs> a debate. I well, mean, I tell you what. Here, that's a big let, call. Let's talk, okay. let's talk about big call. What are the biggest concerns for the market? So let's go after this. It's, it, it's the Fed. It's trade. Um, and, and obviously, as a function of both of those things, it's growth. Um, there's no way we're going from 3%, you know, global growth, which is probably where we've downshifted 3.2, 3.3 right now from 4.3 um, to negative growth next year. Um, is the S&P now priced to a place where I think it's reasonably attractive? Yes, you can make that argument. The equity risk premium is still very attractive, um, but that's a long way to go because trade is going to be a daily headline from here on out. I think the issue is the trade skirmish, right? Everybody talks about the war, and all of a sudden you hear Why Jamie Dimon. Why is this a war, by the way? It's Why does it have to be a well, skirmish? It, it, well, a skirmish, I mean, no it absolutely is. War. It absolutely Are you is. disagreeing? So what I'm saying is I think Jamie Dimon said the uncertainty know. factor, and if there's a 90 days, and he said today, if you listen to him very closely, he didn't think it's going to get resolved in 90 days either. Could it improve? Yes, absolutely. So do we get to 2,900? Sure seems like a long shot to me, so I would say no to that. But it doesn't mean we can't trade higher. It just means 2900 seems like a pretty big jump until we get something resolved at some point in time. I know, Danny, you don't because you pretty much said as much. I, I, I just don't know what is going to lead. I don't see what the catalysts are. I think that the trade, the broader issues, these are going to take quarters, if not years, to figure out. I think that the, the slowing that we're seeing globally, you talk about Deutsche Bank. You're telling me that Citigroup's down 10% because of Deutsche Bank. Deutsche Bank's uh, down because it's really their balance sheet's in a really bad spot. But it's also reflective of what we're seeing in the European economy, right? Yes. This is one of the biggest banks. So I just don't see that the U.S. is going to drag the rest of the world out of this when we have so many headwinds right now. And I think the bank stocks have been telling us all year. I think cyclical stocks like semiconductors are telling us like this. I think the, you know, He's industrials. Finger at his no, He's I, 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 but, but I've been saying it's for months, and it just I'd like seems pretty one obvious. Thing that 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 at least it's not the other finger. It feels like it. One thing that could happen, and we've seen this bond rally and equities down. You could see a reweighting at the end of the year, money out of bonds, into equity, given how much they've moved relative to each other in the last Bonds very short. Bond. There's no question about it. That's a little wagon towards you there, big boy. Chris, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Good talking to you. Chris Harvey uh, joining us tonight. Still ahead, we have much more on this wild day on Wall Street. We'll tell you which stock Pete Nigerian says looks like it could be a bargain buy yeah, right now. Ooh. Plus, huh. media stocks, a bright spot in today's market. AT&T CEO Randall Stevenson sitting down with Becky Quick earlier today. We'll bring you the comments right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Wild day on Wall Street. The Dow down more than 780 points at the lows of the session before staging a major comeback, ending the day down just 80 points. With today's move, the S&P 500 roughly 8% off of its late September high and on track 
for its worst quarter in seven years. Nearly half of the index in a bear market, down 20 percent or more off of their respective highs. But if you're looking for something to buy today, Pete Najarian has a bargain for you. He's at the Telestrator, the plasma for his fast pitch. Pete? Well, earlier today when we were talking with Lee Cooperman, and you were there, Scott, halftime report, he was talking about one of these names. This is Lennar. And that started triggering for me, and we saw option activity. So suddenly I got a lot more interested. First Lee, then the options. It got me into this stock. I actually bought this stock today during the show. So take a look at this. The stock is cheap, and he pointed this out as well. He, 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 he pointed out the fact that single digits, he said six or seven, it might be a little bit more than that in terms of PE, but it's a very inexpensive stock. It's trading under book value. Stock was in the 70s, now here it is in the low 40s. So I think that's an opportunity. But that's not the only reason. I think a big reason is, you take a look at this growth. If you go over the last five years, and you take a look at where they were in terms of re- revenue, it's gone from about six billion to over 20 billion. So So that's incredible growth to me. You look at the earnings also. This is a company that's going to, next year, $6.60. They were 2 bucks five years ago. So they've got some growth out there, I think, into the future. The other thing is, this management team, and this has been a long-run management team, a new CEO, but he's been with the company a long time. Take a look at what they've done with acquisitions over the last couple of years. They made their biggest one just this year. I think that's something that they needed to do. They've been spending the money in the right places. They're already bringing down some of that debt that they put out there to make this purchase. I think this is a company that over the years, because of the acquisitions, makes them stronger. This is a name that's been beat up. I agree with Lee. I took a look at all the different aspects that I like here. I had to get into this name. I like it. Yeah, interesting timing. Kara, yeah. you have a yeah, question? Yeah, I got a question for you, Pete. Yeah. Um, Uh, Rates have come in a little uh, more than a little bit, a lot. How important is that to them? And what if they head back up? Yeah. Yeah, that would be concerning, Karen, because obviously that's something that I think everybody talked about when you were talking about some of these housing numbers. When they've gotten weaker is when we've seen those rates start to rise back up again, and that's been the pressure. I don't know, Karen. None of us actually have a great handle on this, but if we're in this area where we are right now, something under three, I think that's going to help a lot in terms of what's going on with a lot of what's been going on in the finance side of the housing market. Pete, I think the valuation's getting very interesting here, so I'd like to lean with you that direction. At the end of their third quarter numbers, though, they told you they're seeing softness in demand. What do you do with that? And again, is that enough? Uh, Is that offset enough by the valuation? I would say that the demand softness was all, Tim, to do with what we just talked about, rates. I think as we've seen some of that pull back, I think that softness actually becomes a strength once again. All right. No more questions. Time to vote. Are you buying Pete's pitch on Lennar? Yeah, Tim? Oh, yeah. Sorry. I'm off. (laughs) Um, Look, that's uh, that's yet another picture of Pete. Uh, I actually agree with this one. I think the valuation is very compelling. Again, this pause in demand, um, I think you can make an argument. They're buying back stock. I think the company's well run. Karen? Yes. Uh, I, I, I draw like a four-year-old, actually. But I actually nice I agree. I think that the valuation is attractive here. Could it go lower? Yeah, sure, a little bit. But All I think right. it's priced in a lot of bad news already. Stop. Here comes Cameron. the negativity. Stop. Guys, if valuation is the only thing that you guys can come it's up with. Not the only thing. At three points. I said, I said into this things. housing recovery, it, it's done. It's You're not over. debating us. Let me just tell You're you something. You're not debating guys, us. Dan, vote and leave. You just did. And you, don't, you don't call the shots around here. He does this with Mel, too, Scott, as you know. Here's the deal. I just want to tell you guys this. That if the economy starts to reaccelerate, that means that rates are going higher. And the very reason that you said that the that demand was softening was because of higher rates. So you're creating a scenario in no way yes. can no housing way ever, ever improve no matter right. what. Correct. Right. And, and okay. if, you wanna, if you guys want to lean on unemployment, look at where we're getting these jobs. Do you not jobs. think these that these housing stocks haven't priced in everything you just said? I mean, this, this, was, this stock was double this amount a year and a half ago. 
So, I mean, you look at the valuation, it's trading at roughly 10 times trailing. Uh, again, listen, trailing that's his, not been good. This is his pitch, first of all. And I just oh, want to make to a listen to you. Point. You're the one that went off on a, a bare tangent on somebody else's yeah. fast pitch. Yeah. yeah. My goodness. All right, we want to hear from you at home. I want to know if you're buying Pete's pitch for Lennar. You can vote in our poll at CNBC Fast Money. And while you're there, oh. send us a tweet. Whoops. Because with all of the market moves, our traders are answering your burning questions tonight. That's right after the break. The Fast Money stocks taking investors on a big-time roller coaster ride the last couple of months. So with all of these crazy moves, we thought it was the perfect time to take some tweets. Our first nice. viewer asking tonight, it is nice, yeah, right? Thank nice. you for the questions nice. and the tweets. <laughs> what do the panelists think of the transports and specifically FedEx and UPS, Karen? Uh well, thanks, Gary, for the, for the tweet. Um, I'm long them both, which has been painful the last two days. You had some negative news about the U.S. Postal Service reviewing what that last mile of delivery would be or the end delivery. And then you have Amazon potentially threatening. Do they build their own? All that having been said, though, I like them both. And this e-commerce trend is obviously an enormous juggernaut. And I think they'll both be the beneficiary of that. I like them both right here. Pete, FDX, UPS, or Tim? Oh, well, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I, I tell you what, I, I actually bought Not FedEx surprisingly, last week. Tim. Well, yeah, Tim. well, I knew he had something to say. The <laughs> tweet should have been for me, Tim. honey. Okay, yeah, well, the bottom know? line here is I, I think FedEx, if you think about actually their core business, it <laughs> continues to actually grow. EPS is accretive. That TNT acquisition is the gift that keeps on giving on Ground Express. I think the Amazon threat is very overrated. And I think a stock that's traded down, just because it's traded down 60 points to then leveling around 225, that's not a reason to buy it. In this case, free cash flow, dividend, great valuation, FedEx. You want to go again? Yeah, let's do it. I'll take another tweet. Oh, <laughs> Our next viewer says, give one to Dan. Intel. Give one to Dan. Has held up well recently. We talked about this stock earlier. We did. Danny Boy coming to you. Is it a good buy? That's so, the question. So, listen, I, I'm actually modest, <laughs> modestly predisposed to be positive about this. When you think really? of it, Hello. they had a really bad oh, year. The phone had to push player. out of this 10 nanometer chip. This was a huge issue that had ripples all over the semiconductor world, okay? But these guys are going to be really ground zero if this trade skirmish goes into a big, big war. I, that's just very clear, okay? So, to me, I I just don't see the upside downside. The stock had this 10% bounce or so. It's still 15% off its highs. It is a cheap stock. No CEO. It, no CEO. That's probably going to come pretty soon, I suspect. But there's risk to that. I think there's uh, I'm couple, shocked how long it's taken. There's a couple people out there that I think they probably sell the stock if they're in So any. Dan so, says he's into it, but yet he's talking it down at the same time. That was odd. It's a bit defensive. <laughs> seemed very negative. It's got a good yield. Yes they no. buy back billions of shares. Uh, sounds uh, like you're positively predisposed, but I see no reason to run out and buy it Okay. Right Thank you for the tweets, as uh, always. Still ahead. Sorry about Media it. stocks, one of the best performing sectors today, up a percent. The AT&T CEO sitting down with CNBC's Becky Quick earlier today to talk streaming wars. We're bringing the comments from Randall Stevenson when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. AT&T CEO Randall Stevenson sitting down with our own Becky Quick at the Business Roundtable's CEO Innovation Summit earlier today, commenting on the streaming wars. Disney is launching their direct-to-consumer uh, uh, product. We'll be launching our direct-to-consumer product. We each have significant, a lot of content that has been licensed out to other people, not just Netflix, but licensed out to other players in this ecosystem. And as we begin to pull our product together, we're going to want some of that content to put on our platforms. This is going to play out interestingly over the next three or four years. I think this world is going to change dramatically as we all get into this business on a direct-to-consumer basis. So with more companies looking into direct-to-consumer streaming services, who could ultimately come out on top? 
Well, there's no question that AT&T can. I think Randall Stevenson has one of the most complex jobs of any CEO out there. There's a lot of moving pieces here. And I think the most important thing for the share price right now is actually delevering. I think this is a company that people are very concerned. I think there's going to be organic free cash flow growth. I think they're going to be selling some assets. And I do think that the, the media business that they have acquired is, is enormously undervalued. And I think there's a lot of... Uh, it's a yield play, too. There's a you lot own, of I mean, you own there. T, right? You own the stock. I own T. You own the stock. I own what T. about T, VZ? Verizon. We'll get a lot of picks on our show for Verizon. Right. I think too many people get sucked into these dividend yields, and that's the biggest problem with some of these names, because once that gets eliminated, then what? And, and then you look at debt. That's another huge area. So I've stayed away from a lot of these areas. Totally agree. Yeah. All right. Of course, there's a lot of deal talk around AT&T these days. Options traders, though, think that another potential telecom deal could go under and they're betting against one of the names involved. You're breaking it down for us, Dan. Yeah, a little so options action for us. There was some price action or some options action in Sprint today, which is pretty interesting. Back in April, T-Mobile um, launched a $26 billion bid, about $662 um, in Sprint at the time. Um, today, put volume was 10 times um, average daily volume. There was one trade when the stock was trading at $595 that caught my eye. There was a buyer of 10000 of the May 6th. Five put spreads, paying a quarter for that. That breaks even down at 575. You make up to 75 cents between 575 and five. And when you think about it here, we got a couple charts real quickly. We have a two year and we have a five year. And when you look at this thing and you look at the range that the, the, the stock has been in, I think if there was any issues with this deal, you probably have risk down to that $5 level. And let's look at the five year pretty much, you know, six bucks is kind of important support. So when you think about the political climate we're in, think of the competitive comp- uh, environment we're in. You think of the fact that Sprint is owned 85% by SoftBank. And you think, where's SoftBank get all that money? From uh, Saudi Arabia. Maybe there's some issues about how this deal gets approved here in the state. So this looks like some protection for somebody who owns some Sprint. All right. Good stuff. We'll see you tomorrow OA. on the big show. It's 5.30, baby. Full show, 5.30 p.m. Eastern, every Friday, only on CNBC. You can check it out tomorrow with Dan and the gang. Up next, Final Trade. You know what Pete listens to when he's sitting alone oh, in his I, house? Huh. I think I, Scott, I might know. Oh. That's it right there. Celine. Yeah. Yeah. There it is. You're all by yourself on this one. We're with you. Yeah. Yeah. And I are with I know you. we are. Dan influenced everybody once again. All his little minions came out there. Oh, this is never going to happen. Whatever. Wow, more than 70%. That's said. okay, Scott. That's all right. Get out of my house. Hey, man. Get out of my house. 70%. I'm going to go with Fang, but this isn't Fang. This is Diamondback Fang Energy. I think it's bounced 100 bucks oh. on the buying call. All right, Jimmy. So unlike Dan, who's positive than negative on Intel, I'm just, I'm just positive. Yeah. I'm just a company. I said positively yeah. Darren. Yeah. yeah, if you go out wrong, it's the same as buying it here. Apple, I like it. I like Game it. Boy. Uh, XLU, I think you sell it. Guys, great stuff. Mad Money with Jim Craig begins right now. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu accreditation.